Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Space Talk. Hope you're having a wonderful day so far.、Um, wherever you are, I hope it is a good either afternoon, morning, or evening.、Um, my name is Athena. If you don't already know me, I'm also known as Astro Athens.、Um, I am the host of Space Talk. And、uh, we've got so many different things、um, that we have come together here on this podcast, here on Call In. About everything that has to do with astronomy.、Uh, this episode specifically is part of a new series called How Are Space Objects Named? And I get this question quite a lot as an astronomer from whether I'm like doing a, I don't know, a presentation at a museum or speaking with、uh, some astronomy students. I always get the question, like, well, who comes up with these names? So I decided to make a whole series here on Colin、uh, to answer those questions. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, we spoke about how comets are named. And I think that was probably an interesting one because, kind of a weird one to start with, because it has a bunch of combined、uh, alphanumeric name plus also a name that we're used to hearing. But today's episode is going to be a little bit more fun because we're talking about constellations. And I'm sure all of us can name at least one constellation that you might know about. But I would be curious to know what that constellation is. And is it actually a constellation or is it an asterism? We'll go into all of that today on this episode of Space Talk.、Um, so, right now, I have、um, closed off to callers, but about halfway through the episode, I'd love to open that up to all of you guys, to my listeners, if you'd want to call in.、Uh, but I do want to just make sure that we can get through、um, all of the cool stuff that I put together today for today's episode.、Um, it's so much fun doing this. I, I type up so many, so many interesting things, pull together all the different、um, sources of information. And I hope that you find this valuable and you find it interesting. So, today's episode, as I mentioned, is exploring the names of constellations.、Um, and it's actually really old, it's not a modern thing. These aren't modern names. In fact, a lot of this stuff、uh, comes from really old mythology, such as Greek mythology and Babylonian time. And some of the star names actually have roots in Arabic. So let's go ahead and jump into this from the get go. You might recognize some of these constellation names because they are things that are here on Earth, such as dogs and bears、uh, and other stuff, people. But there are actually only about 88 constellations total that are recognized by the International Astronomical Union. I don't know if you knew that or not. I personally, when I learned this in high school, I thought there were so many more constellations.、Um, but the ones that are recognized on our celestial sphere, which I'll get into in a bit, are only 88 recognized by the International Astronomical Union. And more than half of them were named by a Greco Egyptian philosopher and astronomer that many of you might already know about with the name of Ptolemy, Claudius Ptolemy. He publishes work on the stars in something known as the Almagest. 
Now the thing is, he named all these objects based on familiar things to him from his culture,、uh, and that's where we end up getting figures from ancient Greek mythology, as well as animals and objects common to the ancient Greeks and the Babylonians and Sumerian mythology. Just to name a few, we have Hydra, we have Hercules, Gemini. So we have tons of different names of Greek gods of uh, different uh, objects as well: Pisces, fish, Phoenix, Perseus, Pegasus, all things rooting from Greek mythology and also other other types of、uh, types of lore. The remaining constellations were then added. It by European astronomers in the 16th and 17th centuries. So we're now jumping ahead of time, and they added in these other constellations basically to try to fill in where there were gaps that they saw in Ptolemy's star map. So this way, then the sky could be divided into constellations. These constellations included objects of newer technology that started to arise in the 16th, 17th century, as well as animals. That the European explorers were coming across for the first time as they sailed the globe to chart the southern sky, and then even to、uh, the constellations. Some of them have also had had Greek roots, Latin roots, but the stars that make up those constellations are a little bit different. Those have roots in Arabic. It was during a time what is known as the Islamic Golden Age. Stars began to be named since astronomy played a very important role during this time period. To give you a little bit of brief history, the Islamic Golden Age was a period of cultural, economic, and scientific flourishing in the history of Islam. It dated from about the 18th century to the 14th century, and the period、uh, is said to have ended during the collapse of the Abbasid Caliphate. Due to the Mongol invasion and the siege of Baghdad in 1258, so with all that being said, you have this really incredible rise of、um, astronomers that are exploring the stars now with Islamic roots that are now ha- giving the names to the stars that we know of today,、uh, which a lot of them still actually have the names of. Uh, roots in Arabic,、um, such as so. There's the word also zenith. Zenith we talked about here before、uh, has Arabic roots. Zenith, I think, is the more appropriate pronunciation, and that is directly overhead of the observer as a stargazer. So if you're a stargazer and you're looking up and you're doing your, you know, you're looking for certain objects. If I say that the meteor shower is happening in the zenith, then that's always going to be directly overhead. So ninety degrees from the horizon, so directly overhead of the observer, and so there's t- there are tons of words and and names that came from this time period, and a really important astronomer who actually aided in the naming of these stars is astronomer known as Al Al Rahman Al Sufi, and he ended up naming not only a ton of stars after things that he knew of like. Animals and objects, but also star lore. So tales, folklore,、um, traditions, stories around these stars, and this is kind of that、uh, that almost mystical、um, 
just point of view when it comes to astronomy and space exploration. It has so much, so many ties to storytelling. And I think that's one of my favorite things when it comes to uh, looking at the constellations, looking at the night sky and exploring the stars because they all tell a story. I like to often uh, mention something that my first astronomy teacher said in high school, uh, which was, when you think about it, today we go to the movies to watch a film, to hear a story, to be entertained. And for a very long time in human history, the pavilion or the, or the, the movie theater was actually the night sky. People would gather around fireplaces and they would talk about the stars. They would tell stories. Someone would get up and be the storyteller and, and animate their own um, their own story based on what they see in the night sky, such as Orion the Hunter, and like looking to try and get something for their their star crossed lover and 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 hunting and fighting against those that are in the night sky trying to get towards him or attack him. And so you have this these war that are happening, but then you have love, and then you have um, animals such as Ursa Major, the big bear, Ursa Minor the small, the little bear. And then you also have a uh, Canis major, which is the big dog and Canis minor, the little dog. So you have all these really cool stories, but that's, that's history. Um, and it, the thing is, what's cool about it is even though it's history, it's still used today. These are the names that we still keep around. And moving into modern time though, the International Astronomical Union, those responsible of actually like those responsible of taking Pluto away from the main solar system um, and then just giving it the name of a dwarf planet as an outer for further solar system object um, are the ones who actually are responsible for naming these objects, uh, for setting the strategy for how it's done, such as comet naming that we talked about in the first episode and talking about proper definitions of also space distances like 1AU, one astronomical unit. And so um, all of this would, wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the Astronomical International Astronomical Union. To give a little bit of history on the IAU, they were founded in 1919. And get this, I read this on their website, so I'm going to quote this. Its mission is to promote and safeguard the science of astronomy in all its aspects, including research, communication, education, and development through international cooperation. So the IAU has this really, really strong presence when it comes to anything astronomy, whether it's research or it's the naming of things or whether it's in the media and the public eye. Really important thing to keep in mind because we will talk about the, the IAU quite a lot um, on this show. But now to move forward uh, into, I guess to move backwards a little bit, I mentioned something known as the celestial sphere. And I want to go over that a little bit because I tend to use this term kind of loosely and I might actually stop doing that soon. Uh, but I say the celestial sphere a lot kind of regarding to um, the constellations that are visible and the stars that are in the sky. But it's not like how we understand it today, where we know that sometimes stars can be much further away from each other and still be in the same constellation. During this time period of Ptolemy, it was understood that the celestial sphere was actually filled up with finite points in the sky of these stars. 
And so those then ended up making the shapes in which we see, like, say, like uh, the Phoenix or Perseus or um, the Taurus constellation or Scorpius, because they thought that these were all just little points in the sky, that they were equidistant from each other and that they didn't move and that the earth just rotated um, and everything else sort of just continued to rise and fall from what we could see. And it turns out that isn't true. It turns out that the one star in a constellation could end up being light years away from another star in a constellation. And that's not all. If we went to planet Mars, for instance, we, these constellations would look totally different. We wouldn't have the same constellations. If we went to a totally different area of the galaxy, we would, even, we would see totally different stars. We probably wouldn't even see the stars that we see in our own night sky. And so this kind of shows the perspective um, of how people thought of the night sky, how they thought of constellations, and also the stars. One more thing I'm going to mention is that um, a lot of times stars can look brighter or dimmer. And it was thought that, okay, well, this one is just you know a lot bigger or this one's a lot smaller. And although that can be true, it can be based on just intrinsically being more luminous, a lot of times that is also based on that distance. And so if an object is super close to us, it doesn't mean it's going to be really bright. It probably would be brighter than an object that is, you know, maybe about the same luminosity as it, but is located much further away. But it could still be dimmer. So this is something always really important to keep in mind whenever it comes to stargazing or looking at um, even data. If you're sifting through data and you're looking through different types of stars and you're trying to measure its magnitude, you'll want to know exactly how far it is and what its intrinsic luminosity is. Um, so then you can determine things like its mass and its temperature and its age. So that that's a little bit of a, of a, of a kind of breakdown, I would say, of um, stars and star names. Uh, I've got a few other things here I want to chat with you guys about. And then, as I mentioned before, I'd love to um, open this up to any callers who might want to join um, and maybe share with me your favorite constellation. I'm going to do a really quick 10-second music break, and then we will continue. Alrighty, let's jump back into it. Okay, so we've got a few more things um, to chat about here. And one of them is about light pollution. Um, so something interesting of where we probably end up recognizing asterisms more than constellations or mixing up the two is because of, well, light pollution or where you're located on, on, the, on, on the globe. The reason is because a lot of the stars in constellations are visible, but sometimes not all of them are. Sometimes you can't see all the stars in a constellation unless you're in, say, a really, really dark sky. Um, or if you're, you know, maybe somewhere where there's just like less light pollution, or if you're able to maybe use a telescope or binoculars. But something that um, 
our ancient astronomers had、uh, leverage over us is that they didn't really have a lot of lights at the time. They were using candle lights, and so when they're looking up the night sky, it was so crystal clear to them. They were able to see stars that were really, really dim. That today would be kind of tough for us to see. And so that being said, this kind of brings us now to something known as an asterism. An asterism is a pattern that we'll usually find within a constellation. So an example is the Big Dipper. If you would have called in and said my favorite constellation is the Big Dipper, I would have said no, it's not. <laughs> it is your favorite asterism, and that's because it is a pattern found within. The Ursa Major constellation. So the Ursa Major, or the Big Bear, is a much bigger constellation made up of more stars than the Big Dipper. And the Big Dipper is an asterism within the Ursa Major constellation. So really interesting thing there.、Um, always keep that in mind. We can see this in tons of different constellations.、Um, I would love for you to get out at night. And explore the, these constellations and these asterisms, and see if you can find some for yourself. Maybe you can find your own patterns and name your own asterisms. That would be super cool. I feel like that might start to change over time. And with that being said, my final point that I want to make is: Will things change over time? Now, on the large scale of our universe、um, and how old it is—13.8 billion years old. And and humans and you know, civilization here on Earth,、uh, a human existence only around two hundred thousand years. You have to really start to keep in the in mind and that perspective of, okay, well, you know, these stars will outlive all of us.、Um, but what will happen if, say, a star like the red supergiant Betelgeuse goes supernova? My question, and I haven't been able to find an answer, and I wonder if I can pose this question to the International Astronomical Union, is: Will that change the constellation in itself? Because Orion, top left shoulder of Orion, is the red supergiant star Betelgeuse. And you guys, if you are all space fans, you've probably heard about Betelgeuse dimming and brightening and dimming and brightening. And it's because it's within that parameter in which it's going to die. It's in that time frame where it's estimated that that type of star can probably die and explode via supernova. So it can happen literally any day,、um, and you know, but but it also can happen any day for the next like hundred thousand years. So that being said.、Um, It's possible that we might not catch it, but if it does, it, will that change the constellation? Are we going to have to come up with a new name for Orion, or will Orion still be Orion, just be missing a shoulder? Because also at the same time, we'll be able to see this supernova. If that happens, it would look so cool in the night sky. Its peak luminosity would be as bright as the full moon. Imagine seeing an object in the night sky, knowing it's a supernova explosion. That is as bright as the full moon. That would be really cool. So fingers crossed that happens in our lifetime. I really hope that would. I think it would just be so cool. And by the way, we're so far away from it; it's not going to affect us. So no problem there. Well, we're going to be totally fine.、Um, so that that's basically everything I wanted to chat about in today's episode. I'm going to go ahead and open up the chat to callers.、Um, so I just invited callers. Let's see. 
So public, perfect. So if anyone wanted to join, um, my question to you is what is your favorite constellation and why? So I will let you guys go ahead and give an option to call in. I will play some music in the meantime. So my favorite royalty-free music <laughs> song is actually called Sky High. So I thought that was pretty appropriate for the show. Space talk. And I'll give you guys all a moment if you wanted to join. And if not, that is totally okay. Alrighty, looks like we've got a couple callers. First up is Mario, followed by Scott. Hello, Mario. What's up? Hi, hello. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, just studying hard. Good. I love hearing that. A happy New Year, by the way. Oh, yes. Happy New Year to you, too. Oh, and happy James Webb launch. Yes. Oh, so excited about James Webb. Oh, fully deployed everything. So, oh, so yeah. exciting. <laughs> So what is your favorite constellation and why? Oh, so my favorite constellation has got to be the the Orion, Orion constellation. And yeah, why is of, that? Yeah, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, well, for one, there's Beetlejuice, you know, it's very, you know, it's very good to get people hype, you know, oh, this one could go supernova. And, you know, also because it looks red, so it's very easy to spot and make the belt. Also, those three stars, they make it very easy to spot. It's very easy to point out to people, oh, look, there's Orion. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it's got the in the Orion Nebula. I do remember being at one of like the first pictures of space that I saw in the Orion Nebula. So yeah, and it's definitely the first constellation I knew about. You know, the first real constellation because you know, and then in the book that in the back in my you know elementary school library days, um, because it's so easy to spot. It, you know, the books really mention it. Oh, and then you, you can go in, and because it has you know the. the you know, it has the Orion Nebula, and I believe the Horse and Nebula as well, which is one of like, like one of my favorite pictures of space ever. And, you know, it has Betelgeuse and it has sort of supernova. It's very easy to like delve into all these topics, space, just from the from the Orion constellation. So, I love yeah. it. Yeah, close to my heart. I totally agree with you on that. Orion is one of my top favorites as well. Um, it's so incredible, and yeah, the Orion Nebula M forty two. Uh, it's such 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 an amazing nebula. Uh, we, we speak about it a lot on the show. I think. <laughs> I, think yeah, um, I speak about it a lot with like yeah. around me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome! Keep advocating. Keep talking to everyone you can about about space. Like I love getting into just random conversations with people, like at coffee shops or airports, about space. Um, so I, I hope that's what you're doing too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Mario, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your favorite constellation. Right. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for allowing me to do that. Of course. All right. I'm going to go ahead and take the next caller, which is Scott. So let's see. Uh, we got to just give it a moment for, I think Mario needs to jump off for a hot second. There we go. Perfect. Thank you, Mario. And Scott, you are, you are live. What's up, Scott? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm good. How you doing? Good. Hey, I'm a total novice, um, but I, I, I had and I had to quickly look to see Zeta Reticuli is in uh, Reticulum. So I guess that would be my favorite constellation because of the fact that I'm hoping that maybe that's where there might be life. 
Oh, that's such an incredible answer. Tell me a little bit about, do you know, uh, do you have any like fun facts you want to share about Zeta Reticuli? I, I don't, but I've just, you know, listening to all the different over the years that that might be a place of uh, where the aliens might be coming, you know, Bob Lazar and all the people who worked at Area 51. So all the, that uh, interesting stuff that is uh, more on the fringe, but yeah, that's where the, he says they're from. So that's, kind of what I've picked up over the years but um uh, and Orion obviously we see it almost every night um yeah but uh, with regards to I have a question though with regards to yeah. black holes which have always fascinated me did, do we know that every galaxy has a black hole at its center that's such a good question. Um, it's understood that there is some type of really strong, powerful, like area of gravitational, like force in the center of every galaxy. And so the most powerful thing that makes that much gravity is understood to be a black hole. So, um, that the presumption right now is that there are supermassive black holes at the center of galaxies. Uh, but again, I mean, there hasn't been anyone to actually go to uh, any uh, like like every galaxy so it isn't confirmed for all of them except for like say certain galaxies where it's been observed like m81 for instance um that is a really great question uh, but right now it is understood the answer would be for now yes um that that is what's at the center of galaxies uh, what's really interesting is when you have a galaxy merger because you have two galaxies combining what happens there uh, a lot of times it could result in a black hole merger and those two black holes can then collide and make an even more massive, supermassive black hole, which is like so mind boggling. Um, but as of right now, that's, that's from my understanding. The answer is still yes, because that is just the, the most upholding theory. And based on all the different observations that have been made of the centers of galaxies um, would be, yeah, that, that there's probably a black hole at the center of each galaxy. It'd be cool if there isn't. Because I'd be curious to know what could be whole, gravitationally bounding all, all of the stars and the gas within a galaxy. Um, but who knows? It could be, yeah, it could be something we, we, we don't quite understand yet. Has, is, and the event horizon is still, it's still understood that, that that light still cannot escape from, is that still, is that still the case? Do we, do we know that? It is understood that, yeah, for that to be true. Um, that's, again, just based on, like, mathematically uh, looking at what exactly is happening around a black hole. So you have, if anyone doesn't, uh, doesn't know what the event horizon is, um, just try to keep in mind, like, the point of no return is basically, like, what it's referred to as a lot of times in, within the media. Um, and that's because this is an area where it's sort of like the cutoff line where um, the gravitational effect is so strong from the black hole, but it reaches a certain line where um, objects can be in the safe zone, where they cannot get pulled in by the black hole unless they cross past that line. Once they cross past that line, they can't escape the gravitational effect of the black hole, meaning they can't move faster than the speed of light. So to answer your question, Scott, when you said... Um, what was it that, uh, you know, like if light can escape, the main problem is that the escape velocity of a black hole needs to be greater than the speed of light. And as of right now, we don't know anything that moves faster than the speed of light. And so from our understanding, our understanding nothing can escape a black hole, not even light. So that that's where that sentence comes from. Um, and so it's, it's the gravitational forces. So if, if we were at, I just saw it with my kids the other day, contact with Jodie Foster. Yeah. Movies. I love that movie. I just, we watched it too. <laughs> and, um, 
and, and I'm assuming, I, I, you know, that seems to be you know, the wormhole and that idea of traveling through through space time. Um, so being able to manipulate gra- uh, gravitational forces would be, I mean, it's just, it's so, uh, it's, it's really interesting time, you know, with SpaceX and all the other players involved. And it's just, uh, it's great seeing my kids get really excited about all this stuff, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's yeah. interesting in the movie. I think that what they end up doing is creating a wormhole, which I feel like would be probably a combination of a black hole on one end and a white hole on the other end. White holes haven't been observed or hypothetical. Um, but from my understanding, uh, let me try to explain this. I'm used to illustrating everything with a whiteboard. So <laughs> um, based on what Stephen Hawking was assuming at the time, he was saying, well, if every things that fall into a black hole, part of it can radiate back out, known as Hawking radiation. What happens when all the matter near a black hole falls into a black hole, and there's nothing left to fall out, and there's only Hawking radiation radiating out? Well, then it turns inside out and becomes the opposite of a black hole, which would be then a white hole. And so if somehow this happened in space time and, and everything got warped, which things are always getting warped anyway. So I guess it's not too far fetched, but if a white hole was to be connected through a wormhole or an Einstein Rosen bridge to a black hole on the other side, then there's an entry point and an exit point. Um, and that's where I think the movie was probably trying to um, like get their concept from. Uh, I don't know if you if you you should try to read the book Contact as well by Carl Sagan. It's really good. Probably does a lot better job of explaining this than me. Um, and it does go into more details than the movie did. Um, although the movie did do an excellent job. Um, but yeah, that would that, be my take. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. That's it's so interesting. So yeah, thank you for that. And yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let somebody else maybe ask a question here. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for joining. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say one more thing about Zeta Reticuli. Um, It is a binary star system, which is really cool. I love binary star systems. Um, And the reason for that is because most stars are actually part of binary star systems. It's quite rare to have a standalone star like our sun, for instance. So I think that's really cool. Um, And I'm going to share my other top favorite of a constellation, which is Cassiopeia. Uh, It's nothing like too fancy or crazy. I I just love it because it was one of the first constellations I was able to point out in high school when I took my first astronomy class. And it was because to me, it looked like little cat ears. And I just got a kitten and she, she was just so adorable. I wish that like, yeah, like, I don't know, um, you guys could see her. I don't know. I'll post pictures somewhere else. But um, basically, yeah, Cassiopeia is, it actually stands for the queen of Ethiopia. And I was also reading, it also stands for the throne. And although it doesn't look like a throne, I would say it looks like a crown. So it kind of is like a zigzag in the sky. Only composed of, I think, five stars total. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I think it's five stars total. Um, and I just, yeah, I think it looks really cute. And I would say it looks like cat ears. So that is, that, that is, that's my, my, my favorite two constellations, Orion and Cassiopeia. Um, so that's basically everything that we've got, um, for today. Um, if you guys did want to, to join the call, um, if you want to join tomorrow, we're going to be chatting about exoplanets. I'd love for you to call in tomorrow. Um, I will 
maybe make all of my my prep work a little bit briefer so that we could get you guys in and we could all chat. Um, but for those who did call in, thank you so much, Mario. Thank you, Scott. Um, and thank you, everyone else who is joining and listening. So Roman and S, thank you, guys. Um, and until next time, add Astra.